We are in week two of a series we started last week called Open Handed. And if you missed last week, you missed a lot. I got to tell you. Uh, you missed a lot because in this series, I'm sharing some things that are very personal to, to me, very important for me about just truths that have impacted my life, truths that have impacted the way I know God, approach God, see God. And the reason I say you miss a lot is because every week in this series builds upon the next. And so I don't want you to, uh, I want to encourage you to go check out that message last week because I don't want you to misinterpret something that I said this week. But as a recap, I want to try and go through quickly. We introduced this idea of open-handed, and you have to understand every year we end the season with a, out of a place of expectation, faith, appreciation for all that God has done, and I'm going to show that in a very practical way next week. But in this, this season of generosity that we're in, this isn't just about giving. I'm doing it from a, a different angle. I want to talk to you also about receiving. That's what it means to be open-handed. You have to understand giving and receiving. So I mentioned last week that the first thing is that God is a giver. He's a giver. We looked at a number of different scriptures, but Matthew 7 is what we started with. It said, if you who are evil, welcome to Velocity, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly Father loves you, cares for you, knows you, his nature is good, is unselfish, his motives are pure. How much more your heavenly Father will he give good gifts to his children, to those who ask him? And we looked at that. We looked at Hebrews 11, chapter 6. And so this idea, God likes to give. Hebrews 11, 6 says, if you want to please God, you need to know it's impossible to please God without faith. For everyone who comes to God must believe that he is, meaning you've got to recognize his presence, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he is a recognized presence, and I, I recognize your character, God. Your character is you're a rewarder. So the, the thought is it pleases God when I expect to receive from him. And I brought my son Oliver on the platform, and I use this analogy. My son, he's got to do a lot of stuff for me. He doesn't get paid. He's just got to do it because he's my son. That's the rules. But I had asked him to do something. I said, hey, if you do this, I'm going to give you $5. And he did it, and I gave him $5. And the point was, was that greedy for you to expect that $5? No. Was it a wrong motive? No. Why? Because I told him I would do it. And so when God tells you he's going to do something, it's not a wrong motive to expect that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. It actually is pleasing to God. The key is you expect to receive from him, not other people. Right? If you're trying to expect stuff from other people, that's, that's where it's wrong. But expecting God to do what he said would do is a good thing. Because it's this principle that people might leave you unrewarded, but God will never leave you unrewarded. And I had to explain all of that to get to this point that what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Not the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I said, this is the golden promise. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. So you got to go listen to that message, check it out. It'll help you today. But that's the truth that I want to build on in this message. And I want to do it by beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So 
Those of you who brought your Bible, you can turn there if you want to follow along. Otherwise, we'll put the words on the screen for everybody to be on the same page together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing to a church about a special offering they're about to give. Much like us, this special offering that we're about to give. He was writing to them because they were going to give this offering that was going to move the mission of the church forward. It was going to go to help a lot of people in need, and I'll tell you how this offering is going to do both those things. And so he starts in chapter 8 talking about some different ways churches have given, and then in chapter 9, he wants to make sure that they're excited about this and joyful about this, and so he reminds them how they started. He says, hey, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving. Why? Because they already know it. Like, this was their idea. This is something that they came to Paul with. He says, for I know how eager you are to help. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So this is for the church in Macedonia. He's telling the church in Macedonia, look, you, you got to know this Corinthian church. They're so generous. They, they've, they've done this before. They've, they're about helping other churches. They're about helping the people of God, and, and they're about making a difference. They've done this. I'm telling you, and they said that they were going to give to make a difference. Macedonians, you, you have to understand. It's going to be awesome. So this church said, we promised to do this, but nothing's come yet. So he's coming to collect or receive what they had promised to give. But Paul was very pragmatic. He doesn't want to embarrass anybody. He doesn't want them not to be ready. So he says, look, I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me when I come back and they found that you weren't ready after all that I told them about you. You don't want that to happen. He doesn't want that to happen. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead, he sends them with this letter, to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Now, I had mentioned last week that the inspiration, the heart behind this series was really a, 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 came from a time, I was leading a group in my home, we were talking about giving, and the, these people who I love, I care about, I said, when I mentioned the word tithe, what feelings come up in your body? And they said things like guilt, or shame, or embarrassment, or anxiety, and that broke my heart, because these are people that I love, people that I care about, and they didn't have the joy of giving, they just had the responsibility of giving. And Paul is saying, hey, I, I don't want you to just have the responsibility. I want to make sure, I know you started out joyful. I want to make sure you keep the joy. So in order to do that, he gives this illustration. He gives this analogy in verse 6. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely 
and give generously to the poor, their good deeds will be remembered forever. He's quoting Psalm 112, if you want to look it up, all about generosity. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want to use this passage today to speak to you about the seed principle. The seed principle. That's the title of this message. The seed principle. You need to understand in the Gospels, there are really two parts. There's the person of Jesus and his principles. The person of Jesus brings redemption. The principles of Jesus bring reward. The person of Jesus brings peace. The principles of Jesus bring prosperity. The person of Jesus brings salvation. The principles of Jesus bring transformation. You need both. Understanding this is so important because this is why you can love Jesus, be destined for heaven, and still have dysfunctional relationships because you've never learned the principles. I try and teach our staff, when, when you preach God's word, you got to preach both. You got to point people to Jesus, but you got to teach the principles. There's the, per the person and the principles. And there's all sorts of principles. Um, like a few of them we've talked about, like there's the principle of seasons. That's a pretty easy one for us to get in the Midwest because we have four seasons. But the principle of seasons is this, that where you're at in life is not your destiny in life, it's just a season. Ecclesiastes says, there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. So, you know, as a church, we have seasons and we change out that wall there because we recognize different seasons and different focuses and different times for things. It's the principle of seasons. It's the principle of honor, right? What, what is the principle of honor? That honor elevates things. Dishonor deteriorates things. Scripture talks about that a person's pride will bring them low. Pride will bring destruction. But humility, those who humble themselves under the side of God, will be exalted. Honor elevates, dishonor deteriorates. There's the principle of covenant and connection. What's that? Well, Scripture talks about two are better than one. They, they get a good return on their labor. Scripture says, if two of you agree, we mentioned this, concerning anything you ask shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, in the midst of them. Scripture talks about how one can put a thousand to flight. Two, though, not two thousand, can put ten thousand to flight. It's this principle of covenant and connection. And there's lots of things we could look at. Well, understand, when I talk about the principle of the seed, before I can get into the heart of my message, the, the first thing you need to know, that a seed just means a beginning. That's all I mean. A seed is the beginning of something. It, it's that a tiny beginning can grow into a great future, a huge future. It's this idea that something can become more. The, the seed principle is that little things can become big things, that acorns can become oak trees. That's this idea of a seed. And I didn't grow up in a, you know, agricultural home, didn't grow up on a farm, not at some kind of agricultural, horticulturalist, I don't even know all the words. 
the plants in my house are fake. <laughs> the outside plants at our house are fake. You don't have to do anything with them. It's great. Where are my fake plants people at? Great. You're, the, you're my people. So it's a blessing from the Lord. I didn't grow up knowing a lot about seeds, but what I'll tell you is a lot of people don't even know what a seed is. Showing up on time. That's a seed. Showing up ahead of time. That's another seed. Well, what I'm trying to help you understand is that everything you have is a seed. And I've just noticed a lot of people are real familiar with their needs. They take inventory of their needs. Very few people take inventory of their seeds. There are all sorts of seeds in our life. Love is a seed. Love is a seed for relationship. Confession is a seed. Confession is a seed for mercy. Thoughts are a seed. Thoughts are a seed for feelings. Knowledge is a seed. Knowledge is a seed for change. Humility is a seed. Humility is a seed for honor. Honor is a seed. Honor is the seed for access. Access is a seed. Access is the seed for opportunity. Gratitude is a seed. Gratitude is the seed for more. Now, right now, is a seed. What you do with now is a seed for what's next. There's all sorts of seeds that we have. This idea of seed, this principle of seed, the seed principle, is this idea that something I have can produce something else. That this, though it doesn't look like much, can actually produce this can produce something. Why is this so important? Because if you don't recognize a seed, the seeds that you have, you won't recognize what it can produce. If you don't recognize a seed, you won't recognize what it can produce. I know a lot of people want trees. Not a lot of people get excited about seeds. And people don't recognize what a seed is, so they never receive because they never plant it. It goes unplanted. And I'm taking time to talk about this because open-handed is about giving and receiving. And most of the time, we don't understand that the way God gives is through seeds. God gives through seeds. Think about the very first time God spoke to his creation. God spoke to man. Do you know what God said? If I asked you, what was the first command that God gave Adam and Eve? Most of you would say, don't. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Most people would say. The reason that's important is because how you think about God determines your relationship with him. If your, if your thinking is that the first thing God said to his creation, to Adam and Eve, was don't, was no, you're always going to have this separation, this distance between where you are and where God wants you to be. Now, think about this for a moment. I have four children. 
My oldest is Reese, my firstborn son. Can you imagine if when Reese was firstborn, the nurse hands him to me, says, here you go, Mr. Jenkins, here's your son. And I look at him and I said, nope, don't you do it. No, you don't. Whatever you're thinking, stop. Stop crying. No. I mean, they would take him away, first of all. It's crazy. But I wouldn't say that to my son. And that's not what God said to his creation. Let, let's look at it together. The first thing God said to his creation, Adam and Eve, is found in Genesis 1.28. And it says, then God blessed them. The first thing God did was bless them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. Now, the reason I'm going back to Genesis when we started the 2 Corinthians 9 is because I'm trying to help you understand there's this principle this in Bible interpretation. It's called the law of first mention. Meaning that when you want to understand a subject, when you understand a principle, understand a theological doctrine, a theological concept, you need to look at the first time it's mentioned in Scripture and then... As you go through the Bible, you can begin to build on that foundation. So we're going back. This is important because most of us want our lives to be fruitful. Probably all of us want our lives to be fruitful. We want to be found faithful. We want to be fruitful. And in Genesis, what we see, these people are in the garden. Our lives are like a garden. What's that mean? It's a place where things can grow and things can multiply. We're supposed to govern our life. We're supposed to keep certain things out of our life. We're supposed to cultivate the right things in our life. Now, last week, I told you that God is a giver. In fact, I, I made it personal. I said he likes to give to you, or really he likes to give to me. There might be somebody saying, yeah, I hear you, PJ. I hear you, Pastor Justin. But I've been a Christian for a while. God has not given me anything. I don't see anything. And that's because most people don't understand the way God gives. God doesn't give this. He gives this. He gives seed. Let me show you how he gives. It's in the very next verse, Genesis 129. Whenever God gives something, shows up in seed form. It shows up in a way that seems insignificant, seems small, shows up in a way we don't always expect. It's not impressive. It's easy to miss. Genesis 1.29. God also told him, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant that grows through the earth, along with every tree that grows seed-bearing fruit, they will produce your food. So when God gives, he gives you a seed, and then he expects you to use the seed to produce the thing that you need. Okay, I can tell you're not quite with me, so let's look at a different example. In Exodus, where the children of Israel, they leave Egyptian slavery. They're delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They are in the wilderness. And if you know the story, it's in Exodus 16. They are in the wilderness 15 days. Say 15. 15, 15 days. 
and they start complaining about the food they have to eat. <laughs> they're free, thinking, yeah, you know, Egypt wasn't so bad. You know, we had, we had some meat there. Tell you what else we had. We had some bread. You know what, God? You know what, Moses? I'd really like some bread. Some Krispy Kreme donuts sound good right now? Take, take one of those morning buns from 1900 Barker. One of those cinnamon rolls from Munchers. Take some tortilla chips. Come on. I, I, I want some carbs. Enough of this keto diet, Moses. We want carbs. So they're crying out to God. God, give us some bread. God speaks to Moses. He says, all right, I'm going to give you bread. Bread's going to come in the morning. And when you go out, I want you to gather the bread. Only gather what you need for the day. And there'll be more the next day. I swear, we learned the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to give you bread. So they, all right, thinking about all that good bread in the morning. But if you know the story, it wasn't quite like what they expected. Let's look in Numbers 11. It's retelling the story. Verse 7 says, The manna was like coriander. The, the manna was like coriander seed. And it looked like resin. I mean, it was white. So the people went around gathering it, and then ground it in hand mill and crushed it in mortar, then cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something with olive oil. Now, manna, I've mentioned this before, manna is not a Hebrew word. Manna is a Hebrew phrase. It means, what is it? Okay, so get this. They said, God, we want some bread. We want some carbs, we want some bread. God said, I'm going to give you some bread. They go out. What the, what, what is it? What is it? God, I pray for bread. What is this? Seed. God, I pray for a husband. What is this? God, I prayed for my dream job. What is this? God, I thought this was the school I was supposed to be at. What is this? God, I prayed for some real relationships. What is this? God, I, I was asking for a church home. What is this? Seed. It, it's seed. Understand, God doesn't give you bread. God gives you seed. And what you do with it turns it into bread. He gives seed and tells them to make bread. Now, with this in mind, let's look at our main text. 2 Corinthians 9.10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, to provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want to look at it in another translation because I think you'll like this one. The one who supplies seed to be sown and the implication is seed 
for bread to eat will supply, will supply and increase your seed and multiply the yield of your righteousness. Now, last week I told you to expect to receive from God when he gives. But you got to understand how he gives. God gives seed. He gives seed. He doesn't give bread. He doesn't give fruit. He doesn't give trees. He gives seed. Why is that? God gives seed and he expects us to bear fruit. Your job is to bear fruit. God gives you seed. God's not going to give you fruit because he expects you to bear it. See, the, the seed principle is that what something looks like is not indicative of its value. This does not look like this. It, it's easy to see the size of something. This is small. It's hard to see the value of something. But inside this is this. It's the seed principle. And a lot of us are missing what God is doing in our lives because he gives to us in seed form. Now, here's what I've experienced personally. It's just what I've experienced personally. Maybe this has not been your experience, but this has been mine. That when I ask God to meet a need in my life, when I ask God to show up, when I ask for God's help, God answers my prayers by giving me an idea, an instruction, or an opportunity. Lots of times what I want, God, will you just give me some fruit? But God doesn't give the fruit. He gives me an idea. He gives me an instruction. He gives me an opportunity. And what I do with it determines whether or not it's going to be this or it's going to be that. Usually, what we want when we pray is a miracle. Often what God gives is manna. Now manna is the miracle. Yeah. Is what you need. Yeah. But you got to do something with it. Yeah. If, if you just leave it as manna, it doesn't become anything. And I know this isn't our favorite thing because we want fruit, we want bread, we want the tree, but it comes like a seed. So maybe this is something that's helpful for you. When God gives, He gives this. If you keep it, that's your harvest. If you plant it, it's your seed. Now understand, you're not supposed to plant all of your seed. You're not. Some of it you need to turn into bread. But if you use it all for bread, then it'll be the only harvest you ever have. So in essence, what we're doing, whenever we take a seed and plant it, we are ensuring, as Paul said, we will always have everything we need and plenty left over to share with others. That's the seed principle. Now let me state something for the record. This is not me being pulpit passive aggressive, okay? I know we have our offering coming up next week. I want to be super clear. This is not my attempt to get you to give more in the offering one time next week. Absolutely not. 
This is not some sermon on how to buy a blessing from God. I don't believe that. If you think that, you need to go back and listen to last week's message. Let me state very clearly. I do want you to give in our offering. Make it more clear. I want every single person, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, I want you to give in our offering. Take it one step further. I want every person to give sacrificially in our offering. And here's the thing about sacrifice, it's different for everybody. But it's because we have our offering next week that I wanna use this moment as an opportunity to teach you and invite you into a new approach with God. To give with an expectation and to see what you give as a seed. To see what you give as a seed. To be open-handed is to understand it's giving and receiving. It's inhale and exhale. It's planting and harvest. It's sowing and reaping. Sowing, I don't really ever use that word. Most of us probably don't even know that word and aren't super familiar with that word because it's an old English word. Really the almost only time you ever see it used is in the Bible. And sowing, it doesn't even really mean planting. Sowing, if, if you want to know what it means, sowing means scatter seed. <laughs> right? This, this is sowing. All right? It's not even like planting. It's just, forgive me all these people on the front row. This is, so everything I've been doing up here when I've been dropping this, this is sowing. It's to scatter seed. Cleaning crew is going to have a fun time. <laughs> okay. If you're familiar with the word sowing, probably the only time you've ever heard it is when people say this phrase, what you sow, you will reap. Now, most times when people say that, what they mean is this. You are going to get what's coming to you. <laughs> but you understand, that phrase comes from the Bible. And when the Bible uses it, it uses it in a positive connotation. Let's look at it together. Genesis, or Galatians 6, 7. This is what it says. If you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourselves. You will harvest what you plant. Other translations say, what you sow, you will reap. Now, when he says this, it goes in verse 9 to explain why he's saying this. It says, Why? We must not get tired of doing good. We'll receive our harvest at the right time if we don't give up. When we have the opportunity to do good to anyone, we should do it. I like this next part. We should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Okay. So let me talk real quick just about our open-handed offering next week and what we're going to do with that. We're wanting to give $300,000. It's a big number. $300,000 is a lot. Um, what I'll tell you is really cool. We've already had just a handful, just a few visioneering people give already, and we're already over a third of the way there. We've already got 100, over $100,000. Come in. Isn't that awesome? I'm excited about that. I think that's great. So we're over a third of the way there. We want to give. 
And here's why we want to give this. Because, one, uh, whenever we give this offering, we do this every year at the end of the year, we have three, three places. Our future, our city, our world. Last year, you may remember, gave a big chunk, $150,000 to our care point in the Dominican Republic. We built a brand new care point there that feeds and takes care of children twice a day, every day of the week. There's a church that meets there. You guys did that. Over $150,000 went towards that. That's awesome. That's great. So, and we got a missions team going there in just a couple weeks. They're going to be some of the first people to see it. And I want to just encourage everybody to go on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic, see the kids, see the difference that you're making as a church. It really will change your life. But because we did so much globally in our world last year, we're focusing the majority of our giving, we're still doing all three, in our future in our city. Our future, well, we're going to designate $100,000 of that just to our kids here uh, at Velocity. $100,000. I don't know if you know this, we hired a, a new kids director. She's amazing, Carista. You should go meet her because uh, she's in the kids area. And uh, she's great. But now we're also going to do a lot more in that area. Kind of like when you get in the, the building, it's, it's kind of like when you get in a new house or a new apartment. Sometimes there's a lot just to get in there. You don't always go get new furniture like the next week. You got to kind of get adjusted. So that's what we're doing. We've been in here. We're going to do a lot more stuff. We're going to put some new bathrooms in some of the places that were closets. That was the plan from the beginning. We're going to finish out the gym area. We've got a lot more games and different things we're going to do. We plan at least $100,000 towards that. We're also having to do stuff in our city. We've had the outreach hub that I've told you a lot of stuff is going on there, um, you know, where we're giving away uh, free home goods and we're giving away uh, free turkey dinners and we're giving away all sorts of free Christmas shopping. How many know even though that's free to people, that's not free for us. Like it takes resource to do that. So we're gonna do that and we wanna start giving away free groceries. We hope to do that before the end of the year this year. We'll definitely do it next year, giving away free groceries to help people in need. Also, something really cool that we're gonna do is on this side of the building where the pharmacy used to be, we're gonna convert that into a room that's open 24 seven for our first responders and local law enforcement. So what that will do is oftentimes our local law enforcement, they're on the job working, you know, all hours of the day and at night, there's not a clean place where you can use the bathroom. There's not a, a place where you can fill out your report. They have to do it in their cars. There's, there's not a place where they're able to just get a break after having to been on the job and, and maybe handle something tough. And so we want to honor our local law enforcement and first responders and convert that area into a room that will be available for them to use. Isn't that awesome? I don't know how many people are doing that. Nobody's doing that in our city. And so all this stuff, th this offering, it's going to go to move the mission of the church forward, and it's going to go to help people in need. That's what we get to be a part of. Now, I want to give you real quick, three quick facts about seed. Move through this really quickly. First thing you need to know, is that you will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. This is what Paul said in Galatians. Don't be fooled. You can't fool God. What you plant, you will harvest. What you plant, you will harvest. This is why I want everybody to participate in the offering. Because a seed of nothing produces a season of nothing. You're going to harvest what you plant. So I, I want to ask you to plant something and when you plant seed, God is going to give you more seed. That's what he does. God gives seed. When you give kindness, you'll have more kindness come back. Now, understand, this principle alone 
is just one reason why prioritizing the weekend is so important. It's a seed. Yeah, but PJ, you don't understand. Like, I'm really busy. My life is chaotic. I've got so much going on. I can barely handle the stuff I've got right now. I know. That's why you need to prioritize giving God your time, the first part of your week, on Sunday. Do you think you can give God your time and he won't find a way to multiply it back to you? I'm telling you, he will. It's the principle of the seed. What you plant, you will harvest. When you serve, in your attitude, you have an opportunity to do good, you should do it because people might leave you unrewarded. God will not leave you unrewarded. What you plant, you will harvest. That's fact one. Fact number two, you will harvest how you plant. Paul says, when he's wanting people to do it with the right attitude, he uses this now. just remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Little seed, little crop. Generous seed, generous crop. First, he talks about amounts. Then he talks about attitudes. He says, this is why you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Understand, this is the one time of the year I ask everybody to participate all in, and I ask everybody to sacrifice. Sacrifice looks different for everybody. I'm not asking you the same thing somebody else would. I'm just asking you that you would do something that's significant for you. What's a sacrifice? Something that's uncommon? Something you wouldn't normally do? Here's what I'll tell you. An uncommon seed produces an uncommon harvest. At our church, we love sacrifice. That's one of our culture points. We love sacrifice, meaning it's not what we're giving up. It's what we're giving to. We don't have to. We want to because we recognize when we give, it might leave our hand, but it doesn't leave our life. It's really just investing into our future. So you'll plant what you harvest. You'll plant how you harvest. Here's the third thing. You will, or you'll harvest more than you plant. You'll harvest how you plant. You'll harvest what you plant. Here's the third one. You will harvest more than you plant. You will harvest more than you plant. All of us want to be fruitful, but God gives us seed. Here's what's interesting. I did a little research. They say on average an apple has 5 to 13 seeds in it. On average, one apple seed has, can produce a tree, apple tree, will produce between 700 and 900 apples per year. Think about this. You can count the number of seeds in an apple. You cannot count the number of apples in a seed. This doesn't look like much, but inside this seed is an orchard An orchard. Here's the principle. You will harvest what you plant. You'll harvest how you plant. But you will harvest more than you plant. That's the seed principle. I know it doesn't look like much. But inside this seed is an orchard.
Here's the last thing I'll tell you. If what's in your hand isn't what you need, it's a seed. Here's what I mean. It's something that you can use in exchange for something else. Just because it leaves your hand, it doesn't leave your life. When you give something, it doesn't really ever leave your life. It just leaves your present to show up in your future. We've used this principle as a church, but Marissa and I have used it personally. Last year, I, I talked about this. We needed $1.5 million to build this building. We didn't have it. But what, what did we have? We designated $150,000, 10% to build a building in another part of the world. $150,000 is not going to get this done. But we could use it as a seed because what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. We use it as a church. Marissa and I use this personally. I'll tell you what, just this week, just this week, I had something come up unexpected. It was going to require an interruption to my schedule. It was going to require significant costs financially. It was going to require uh, me to reshuffle around other priorities. But I felt in my heart I was supposed to do it. So I did it. One, I care about the person that was helping. But I recognize that this is something I'm giving to God. Yes, I know what I'm doing, but God's not going to leave me unrewarded. The stuff that needs to be done, God will help me get it done. He'll multiply the time back for me. The, what I'm putting into this person's life might not come back from them, but it'll come back to me when I need it. It's the, this principle of seed. Might not be what you need, but it might be your seed. Here's what I want to tell you. You see an example of this, 1 Kings 17, you can read it for yourself. There was prophet Elijah. God said he was going to provide for him through a widow in this town called Zarephath. He went there, saw this widow. He said, will you give me a drink of water? She did. He said, will you give me some bread? She said, all I have is a little flour and a jar of oil. I'm going to make some bread for my son and I. Then we're going to die. Didn't have anything. He said, go make some bread for yourself and your son. He didn't tell her not to take care of business. He said, just first, first, give some to me. And if you do, you'll have enough for you and your son. She did that and talked about how the flour and the oil never ran out. In the New Testament, you see Jesus with his disciples. There's 5,000 people around. He says, you give them something to eat, guys. He said, we don't have anything, Jesus except five loaves and two fish, which we stole from a little boy. <laughs> he said, give it to me. Even though what they had wasn't enough, in the master's hands, blessed it, broke it, and multiplied. I'm just trying to, it might not be enough, but if you'll put it in God's hands, he can bless it and multiply it. I promise you, friends, I love you. I'm not trying to teach you anything weird, crazy. I'm just trying to tell you something that's been personal for me. I've seen time and time again that what I have is a seed. Not just money, what I have is seed. 
And when I sow it, when I plant it, I can expect to receive from God. He's faithful. He told me this in his word. I'm not trying to twist, I'm not trying to manipulate something. I just want you to see God as a giver. I want you to understand this principle so you can put it into work in your life. And maybe the thing you need to put in God's hands is your life. And he can do more with your life when you put it in his hands. Can I say a prayer for each person?